0: In Cheltenham, I get that. So, we're going to travel about 2,000 miles southeast, back 2,000 years to Crete. If we could flick that up on the screen behind, I realize not everyone, when I say Titus, understands what's going on. So, here we are in the Mediterranean, and we're going to uh, pretend or imagine it's AD 63. We're in the Mediterranean, we're looking at the island of Crete. I want to say, first of all, just to make sense of the letter this morning, first of all, who is Paul? you uh, are in the book of Acts right now, so you know that he's a prominent figure for the early church, proclaiming Jesus Christ, planting churches. Previously, he was known as Saul of Tarsus. He was a zealous Jewish religious leader who fiercely opposed the teachings of Jesus. But that all dramatically changed. You're familiar with the story of Paul, we won't go into that. And he turns around and he becomes this prolific church planter. And half the book of Acts is about his life and his works, half of what we call the New Testament is written by Paul. He's someone to listen to in terms of understanding how churches should be well cared for and looked after. Titus. Uh, He was a Greek, he was one of Paul's converts. Paul said of him, he's a true spiritual son. And Titus worked not just as a trusted co-worker, but he was sent by Paul on tasks, sent to Corinth it seems, uh, and now into Crete as we're going to see. He is an apostolic delegate. So he's sent by Apostle Paul to represent Paul and his teaching to local congregations. And we can see that Paul... Uh, took Titus with him uh, down to uh, Jerusalem, Acts 15. Although Titus is never mentioned in the book of Acts, we pick up references for in Galatians 2 says he was at the Council of Jerusalem in terms of the controversy in Antioch. It seems that Titus took at least one of the letters to Corinth. If you read 2 Corinthians, he pops up in there at least seven times. And yet he's never mentioned in the book of Acts. He's a very curious figure for us. And finally, just to say Crete, so here we can see Crete here, I thought it would be helpful. Large island off the shore of Greece, very, very mountainous. In AD 63, they think there was something like 20 odd towns there, and it was serving the local area their harbours and ports. And we're guessing that Paul thought, do you know what, the island of Crete, with its many harbours, if we plant a network of churches across Crete, that will serve the Eastern Mediterranean really well. Remember, uh, Rome uh, was there, so there's this massive land caravan of goods and services all around the Eastern Mediterranean. They often jump in and out on boats, so that's what's going on in the context. When you know all of that, it makes a little bit of sense. What we are mentioning is that all good. Yeah. yeah. Back to school. It's all great. We need to understand the context of a letter, not just jump straight in. Now, the other thing to make sense of. Cretan culture in AD 63 was notorious. In fact, one of their own poets said, Cretans, one of their own said this, they are always liars, always evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Don't say that about Cheltenham, I know. But that's what they said of them, so it was notorious for that. Worse still, corrupt Cretan leaders were in these newly planted churches Corrupting them with false teachers, and it seems like they're doing it for their own gain. And so Paul is concerned about this. They are corrupting churches with false teaching. These very churches that Paul has established in order to make sure the gospel continues to make its way into the Mediterranean. That's the Book of Acts. All good. So we're going to jump into uh, Titus, read one through to nine. I'm going to read some, talk to it, read some, talk to it, and then I'm going to attempt to apply it to God first. Are you up for that? Yeah. yeah. I'm feeling less it up inside now. That's good news. Let me just pray. <laughs> Holy Spirit, come now. Come and illuminate these words to everyone in this room. Holy Spirit, help me to finish my sentences, to slow down, speak clearly, and would you anoint the things that I say, this church would be strengthened as a result of this morning. They I ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, Titus 1, we're we'll going to start through 1 through to 4 initially. We'll come up on the screen behind me. We'll sit there so you can make sure what I'm saying actually is in the Bible. These things are important. starts off with this. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect. And their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, unlike the Cretans, (laughs) promised beforehand, before the ages began. And at the proper time, manifested in his word, through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God, our Saviour, to Titus. My true child in a common faith. Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Saviour. If you're unfamiliar about how letters were written in that time, they'd often start with sending who was the sender, then the recipient, and then a blessing. We see that format. In fact, you don't do it now. You can flick into other Bibles around and you'd see Paul often start up from (laughs) Paul, And he talks about who it's sent to, and there comes a blessing. So Paul introduced himself, remember most likely this letter was written to Titus, but Titus would probably carry itself with him from church to church as a sense of his authority. This is his badge of honour. This is why he's working around the churches. So Paul is saying to Titus, uh, Paul is the sender, and Paul introduces himself as a slave of God. He, he says, he's introducing himself with a title of great humility, that he is one who's been bought and owned and is directed by God. We're uncomfortable understanding with the term slavery, that's very negative us, Paul is saying, I am a servant of God, I'm a slave of God, I like, introduce myself with humility, but I'm also an apostle of Christ, I am a servant of I am one of great humility, yes, I'm owned by Christ, but I have great authority because I've been sent by Christ. And Paul, saying that he's writing these things, he's a sent one for the sake of the elect. That is the church. That's us. That's the, that's the family of God there on Crete. And he's therefore, their faith in God and for their knowledge of the truth. We're gonna come back on that. He's there for their faith in God, but not just faith in God, it's about knowledge of the truth. The recipient is Titus. He calls him a true spiritual son. And he says to him, he speaks a blessing of grace and peace from God the Father and from Christ Jesus the Saviour. So we've got that introduction there, all good? Happy great, verse 5, this is what he says. This is why I left you in Crete, so you might put what remains into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So it seems as if they're in the middle of their work. Paul had to leave Crete and he's left Titus in place and he's now going to go around each of these towns and finish the work, go to these local congregations and figure out... Who are going to be the elders in that congregation? Why is he doing that? I'm guessing it's because his churches are supposed to be self regulating. They've still got to consolidate. What does the church mean? What does the gospel look like on the island of Crete? What are the questions they're asking given the challenges that they have? It's a notorious culture. How's it going to work? Well, he's saying you need to appoint conscientious and gifted elders to give pastoral oversight but more than that by appointing elders false teachers that are ruining the church can be confronted people who say that i love jesus but they're projecting a gospel that wasn't received by paul or jesus himself that's important in our day and age now what's also good to know from this from this one verse, did you pick up that the term elder isn't singular, it's plural. point elders. Mm. When God first got started, it wasn't just Howard was appointed, he waited till Andy was in the woods. Andy was in here, he was here earlier, wasn't he? Yeah. I saw Andy, there he is at the back. Good to see you again, Andy. And Tom. So actually I waited till three elders were appointed. In fact, the Bible doesn't know anything about these kind of lone ranger Christians. It's not a single, it's always the the council, the wisdom, the security of at least three. And that's what happened here. So we said elders are to be plural. The term elder, overseer, bishop, it's the same word but different functions of that. The elder, I guess, is to about a level of maturity in that culture regardless of age, and overseer, that sense of steward, manager, uh, being able to bring those things together. So elder, bishop, overseer, it's the same word, same function, and the whole church is involved in this. For them to be above reproach, for them to be blameless, who gets to decide that is the church family. Yeah, that's right. So just as you, hopefully, have been watching Adam, also known as Stan, I think I'm the only one who's consistently called him Adam today. Come on. <laughs> I'll mess it up, I'm sure. Actually, all of you established that about Adam. That's not something that Howard does on his own. So when his colleague, Graham, I think it was, saw him at work, I think that is perfect, isn't it? That in his workplace, he is consistent and set apart. That is very, very important, because that's the qualification. So these these elders, Paul is saying to Titus, make sure that they are blameless. And they're blameless in three areas of their life the first of which is in their marriage and family life, because the home is supposed to be a training ground for church leadership. Verse 6 says this, the, the elder, the overseer, has to be the husband of one wife, and his children are believers, and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Not supposed to be wild and disobedient. For an overseer, as God's steward, Howard's wriggling even now. Oh, we've gone through that stage. He's gone through that stage. One of his boys is in our church. For an overseer, a God's steward, they've gotta be above reproach in the area of family life. Remember in that culture, uh, people often got married young. You didn't really have people living on their own. It's just not how it worked. And there was no family planning, there was no contraception. And so you get married young, so most adults were married and had kids, unless there was a problem. So this is what these qualifications are, such as they are. An elder is the husband of one wife, not polygamous, or to have a sullied reputation around marriage and sex. And clearly Adam is not married and doesn't have children. And so that qualification doesn't kind of line up for It doesn't mean you've got to have children to be an elder, Paul was an apostle and doesn't seem to be married and didn't have kids, nor did Jesus. What we're saying is, in that context, this is important, and there's something about how they're managing their household. And if they do have children, which Adam doesn't, they aren't to be wild and disobedient. If fathers can't manage their own home well, how can they expect to manage God's household? So that's a guide and so Paul is saying to Titus as you go to these various towns and their great reputation, he said, first of all, look at what are they like at home, these elders? They just look there, are they blindless in their home and are they able to lead themselves? Verses seven and eight. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant. Or quick tempered, or a drunkard, or violent, or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy and disciplined. So Paul lists five things that, if it's present in an elder's character, it will damage the church. So if you've got an elder they're just so full of pride, you just, people are proud people, you can smell it. They're just not nice to hang with, are they? You just feel wretched around them, you just think, oh man. Someone with a quick temper, they're very quickly Naught to ten, and they're aggressive, verbally, physically, emotionally. That will damage church life if they abuse alcohol. If you sense there's some, you know what, they're just pursuing power, they want influence, they need status or standing. That will damage church life. If there's a love of money, you know, you just feel the thing that makes them feel well. A good bank account, or a well, windfall—it just gives them a sense of well-being that's not comfortable. Feels like what? There's a love of money. Money itself is neutral. You could, they seem to love that. Makes them feel well. The shalom of God comes upon them because a, they've had a financial windfall. Well, what's going on? They, first, is there a love? Is there a idol of money there? Now, you can't avoid those things. But they need to be mastered. Pride's got a thousand faces. I feel I've worked in one area of my life and another pops up. Tom's nodding at me. <laughs> he knows what it's like, but it's gotta be mastered. If you can't control yourself, if these elders can't control themselves, how can they control the church? They need to pursue humility. They need to be slow to anger. They need to have a sense of either abstinence around alcohol, I've done that for years, or self control, which I'm exercising now. My dad was a violent alcoholic. I know the damage it does to my family growing up. They need to have a servant heart. They need to be generous with their money and also their time and their words and their attitudes. It's not just negative things. Paul lists six positive character traits. Now keep listening in because there's a twist at the end. Paul lists six positive character traits. Rather, an elder. He must enjoy having guests in his home. They've got to love what is good. They've got to live wisely. They've got to be just. Kingdom's all about justice, the justice of God. Elders have got to be just. They must live a devout. And you've got to live a disciplined life. In all these things, is to be blameless. So Paul is saying they've got to. When you look Titus, when you look around at these churches that have been established to appoint elders, look for those who lead well in their family, but more than that, lead those who lead themselves well. And thirdly, make sure that they're blameless, they're above reproach in doctrinal orthodoxy. What I mean by that is make sure that these elders that you appoint that they hold to what is generally accepted as the teachings of Paul and Jesus. You know, not those who just love uh, new ideas. Verse 9 says this, He, the elder, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, instruction, but also to rebuke those who contradict. You need So Paul insists that an elder must be qualified in how he eats his home, how he eats himself, but also their grasp of the truth. And this truth that has been passed on to them as taught by either Paul directly, if I remember that they were around and Paul was passing through Crete, or now Titus as his delegate. An elder must have a strong belief in the trustworthy message that he was taught. He's got to be reliable in that. Just pass on the apostles' teaching that laid the foundation of these churches. These elders are to hold fast to, to pass on, able to confront, to be able to overthrow, really, to overthrow arguments that disagree with apostles' teaching, and able to encourage others with wholesome teaching, and to show others who oppose that where they're wrong. So that is what's going on in the beginning of Titus, as Paul is writing to Titus, to help him equip elders to safeguard and care for these churches. So that was 2,000 miles away, 2,000 years ago, but so what for God first in Cheltenham in AD 2023? What does that mean for us today, as we kind of take that teaching that Paul had for Titus in, in, in a different setting to Chapman, I, I do admit that. The first thing I want to say from this for us today to remind us that the Bible is the plumb line of this church. Yes, yes. Now, a plumb line is a standard against which other things are measured. Tom is really with me now, Tom the Builder. I won't get this right, Tom, don't worry. <laughs> And the thing about plumb line is, we do not create the standard. The plumb line is established by a much greater force. That's gravity. Gravity declares what is plumb and what is not. If Tom builds for you and it's not square, it will look wrong and not be strong. Because gravity is a greater force. The truth of the matter is, God first challenged them. We don't get to make up the criteria by which things are measured. That's right. We don't get to make that up. The job of the wise builder is to base his or her project upon the immovable standard. Yes. And the standard that's been built upon here is the Bible. The plumb line for the Christ follower, the plumb line for God first church. Is the Bible because the Bible declares both God's love for us and his vision for human life flourishing. That's revealed in the Bible and like a plumb line the Bible is supposed to be a constant reference to us. All of us are supposed to be constantly checking whether our individual life or the life of our church family, all of us, Against the plumb line of the Bible. The thing is, we're not supposed to read the Bible. The Bible reads us. Mm. You're not supposed to make judgments on the Bible. The Bible judges us. You're not supposed to do the Bible in a year. What you're supposed to be doing, really, is the Bible to go through you in a year. Did you get that? So so we we hold the Bible up and we say, this is above us. This is the standard we are building to. We don't hold it here and this is to say, we accept the Bible, but there's some things we don't agree with. This is the plumb line that God First is being built against. But the truth of the matter is, God First has been influenced by the tradition which it has been taught through. So I have a little pause now, quick little pause. Quick church history blurb there, okay? Hang in there with me, this will be really helpful. So for the first thousand years of the church, it was all unified. Then around a 1000 AD, there was a massive argument and the very first split, and then we now call that where the Eastern Orthodox Church split from the church in Rome. So we had a thousand years of unity, they had a big disagreement, and then we had this split, so now we've got Uh, the Church of Rome and then we've got the Eastern Orthodox that carried on for another 500 years so about 1500 AD then there's another big argument and there's a split now between what we now call the Reformation between those who don't agree with the teachings of Rome and there's another split now now we've got the Roman Catholic Church and what we now call the Protestant Church Mm -hmm. okay then we have another four or five hundred years of more fracturing in the Protestant church and then we arrive as now the kind of the Protestant charismatic house church movement so that's how we all fit together in the family tree of God so the what we would call the Eastern Orthodox Church and now what we now call the Roman Catholic Church and the fragmentation of the Protestant church maps us out onto a family tree now it matters to us Because how we receive the teaching that is shaping God's Word matches in here. So maybe depending on your church tradition, I'm guessing most of us have grown up within the Protestant church tradition. There's clearly Christ followers in the Roman Catholic Church and the Eastern Orthodox Church. That is shaping our understanding. So what we receive from our apostles, we now pass on to the generations coming after us with faith and confidence. Not a lack of assurance, this is our contribution to the bride of Jesus Christ. So quick, uh, diversion because that makes sense. So when I talk about, in terms of making sure this is how we read the Bible, read the Bible in a context, what's been passed on to us. And so Titus needs to make sure that elders receive the teaching they have from Paul and and for himself, Titus, onto local elders who pass it on from there. Is that all clear? We're gonna circle back on that, why that's important. Because the first thing, so the Bible is our plumb line and we read it according to where we are in the church family, Therefore it's important for God first to recognize and acknowledge is part of new frontiers and advance. Because we can see from the beginning of this passage we can see that Paul is saying this like this flow of faith and a flow of knowledge of the truth, they're like these concentric circles that are coming out from God the Father and God the Son. Faith and knowledge of the truth flow out from Father and Son at the centre through to the apostles and their delegates. And that would then go out to the local Cretan elders that are established and onto their congregations, flowing on out through them into those into Crete who aren't yet believing, all those who are elect, called by God for the foundation of time. And so we see this great flow coming down. And so for Cheltenham in 2023, the flow of faith, and this flow of knowledge of the truth is supposed to be like concentric circles that's flowing out from God the Father and Son to the advanced apostles and their delegates, flowing out into the elders of God-first children, of which Adam has been added into, to the congregation, that's all of us in the room, and then on out into Cheltenham to the elect. That's supposed to be what's happening here. So it really matters that God first is part of new frontiers and advance. It really matters that God first elders, Adam, it matters that you hold firm to the trustworthy message taught by the apostles and the delegates of new frontiers and advance. It matters. It matters that God-first elders instruct sound doctrine. And they rebuke those who contradict it. It matters that God-first elders partners with apostles to establish and strengthen churches. It really matters. The third thing I want to say very quickly now, this is for everyone, and not just the elders. Yes. The truth of the matter is only a few can serve as elders at God first, but everyone should aspire to meeting, if not exceeding, the qualification for eldership. Excellent. Everyone here should. Right. Everyone. Not You can't all serve as elders, it's just not practical amongst other things. My prayer this week, my prayer for you this morning, and I laboured over this this morning, is that every man, every woman in God first would meet the qualifications that Titus is looking for. So right now, God's word is gonna go through you. And I've been praying the Holy Spirit right now is gonna come and either comfort you and strengthen you or mildly just stir you and say, come on, come on, let's work on this area. My prayer is this morning for you that everyone here would live blameless lives, Yes. That you you'd be blameless. You'd be above approach, That you'd be faithful to your spouse. Just kind of catch people's eyes. You'd be faithful to your spouse. And your thoughts, what you look at on the internet, the way you look at other people, you'd be faithful to your spouse. My prayers that your children would be believers. Mm. We want that for every child in God first, even though it's not yet born, every child will be a believer. That no child will go to it with a reputation for being wild or rebellious. I want that. You want that. Mm. Yeah. I want to pray there's no one in God first that is arrogant, that you are not arrogant do well, you have a quick temper. I've got a really quick temper. I have a quick, so this you see it in my eyes, but I've, by the grace of God, with the help of the Holy Spirit, and avoiding alcohol. Now, I, I, I am measured. I pray that no one here is quick tempered. Mm-hmm. I pray that no one here is a heavy drinker. Mm. You, you know, you can't, you can't, if you're called when you can't get in your car, you've had way too much at home. Or maybe you're you're out in the pub and you're no different to anybody else. My prayer is you're not like that here. You you, you can get in the car and help people if needs be. You're ready for an emergency of a brother, sister or brother in this church. You're there. You're ready to go. You've not taken yourself out. You're not a heavy drinker. My prayer is that you're not violent. Violent with your words. Violent with your actions violent with your emotions, or, or violent spiritually. I pray that, that there will be no one, got first, Could be violent in that way. I pray that no one would be dishonest with money. No, no one would be dishonest. You could drop a ten on the floor here and be handed it. Simple illustration, isn't it? No one does that down, do they? Find a ten on the street, pop it in your pocket. No one takes it to the police station, who does that? Yeah, if this, this, uh, you tell how old I am, not dishonest with money. I pray that all of us will enjoy having guests in their home. There's something about hospitality. maybe you can't have guests in your home, maybe because of a house shell, maybe you're embarrassed of your home and you're happy to meet with people for a coffee. You love hospitality. My prayer is that you would love what is good, <clears throat> you live wisely, there's so much access to debt and credit and loans now. Just, I just want to say live wisely, humble yourself, ask for help, set up the budget. My prayer is that you are just and that God's people and children love justice. That you are devout and that you live a disciplined life for Jesus, for his glory. My prayer has been you'd have a strong belief in the trustworthy message that you've been taught. A strong belief. There'll be none of us tossed around by the waves of the teaching and the promises, the empty promises this culture throws at and questions. My prayer this morning is that you'd be able to encourage others with wholesome teaching and show those who oppose it where they're wrong In order to win them for Jesus and not show them shame. You up for that? For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.